0: The Ain't No Fang Podcast. From Arizona sports, Ain't No Fang.
1: Arizona sports Diamondbacks postgame special.
2: Coverage presented by Presidential Pools, Spons, Patio, and Y-Refi.
3: And the pitch, and a fly ball to right, backing up is Carroll, and he jumps, and it's gone, and this one is over, and the Texas Rangers have walked off the Diamondbacks on an opposite field home run
4: by Dolish Garcia, and they win game one of the World Series by a score of 6-5. By my math, the Arizona Diamondbacks have played four World Series games on the road in their history. They have now given up a two-run game-tying homer in three of those four games.
0: Did they, did they just bring back the script from '01? one Because it feels like It's literally the script from Oh One. one
4: I think a lot of people in Arizona are having byung Young kim flashbacks right now. Uh, Not so great evening to everyone here on the uh, post-game special. We do
0: wish it was better, but we Uh, apologize. We do.
4: We do. Steve Zinsmeister, that's Mitch Fereldis that you hear as well. And recapping what happened tonight in Game 1 of the World Series. It took 22 years to get back, and the Diamondbacks found themselves in a pretty favorable position for the majority of this game. I did think Nate Uvalde was actually out pitching Zach Gallen to begin this game. I know he ends up giving up five earned runs. Uvalde does. Um, so I think you'd probably give the favorability to Zach Gallen by the end of this thing. Um, the bullpen just couldn't be perfect to the
0: standard that they've been this postseason. It was one of those, like, eventually they're going to crack kind of yeah. moments. And the worst possible time for them to crack.
4: I know, right? This is the
0: bottom of the ninth in game one.
4: Yeah, you kind of have to count your blessings with how good this bullpen has been, especially the fact that they kind of piecemealed this thing together in the months of August and September. Um, We've talked a lot about that throughout this playoff run is how new some of these pieces are to the bullpen. So the fact that you got to the World Series on the strength of the bullpen alone is already a great blessing. But then you get to the World Series and Ryan Thompson comes in early in this game after Zach Gallen goes through five innings and they go to Ryan Thompson. He has a. Decent enough inning. He did give up one hit, one walk, but he gets through it in 17 pitches. Joe Mantiply continues to be very good in the role that he's been asked to to do. Kevin Ginkle, the King of Phoenix over the last couple of weeks, certainly, and he comes in for the eighth. And while I, he does get through the inning without giving up any runs, he does walk a batter and give up one hit, which kind of sets up the Rangers for success later in the game. You get Paul Seawald for the ninth, with a two-run lead. And he gives up the two-run homer to Corey Seager in that inning. Walked two hitters. He also gave up the home run that tied the game to send it to extra innings. It's a bad scenario every way you look at it. Not just because they tied the game at that point and then later go on to win it with that Adolis Garcia home run we just played off of Miguel Castro. But also the fact that now you go into game two and you've used all of your best relief pitchers for... Some of them laborious innings. Kevin Ginkle threw 28 pitches tonight in his inning. Paul Sewald threw 22. Kyle Nelson, I wouldn't say is one of their high leverage guys. He threw
0: 24. Yeah, but he threw some high leverage innings tonight. They needed him to.
4: So you have to start thinking, how does this impact game Two tomorrow? Would some of these guys be limited, if
0: not untouchable, for tomorrow night's game? See, it's funny. I remember us talking after game six in the NLCS after they beat Philly. And my big concern at the time was, well, they're just going to wheel out the same relievers again. Like, should we be concerned? Well, the big difference from that occurrence to this occurrence is you brought it up. The pitch counts are significantly greater than what they were in that game six against the Phillies. They had to work. Now I work a lot. Now, I wonder if there's extra pressure on Kelly to definitely get through six. Because I don't know if you could ask Thompson to come in as early as the sixth inning. Now, we've been proven wrong before. I mean, we've gone through, what, five plus seven? So we've gone through 12 postseason games now of Diamondbacks baseball. And Tori, every time he makes a decision, we do that thing where we look at him and we wonder, eh, what are you doing, man? I don't like this, blah, blah, blah. And then it works out for them in the end. I think this, this is was, game 13, by the way. This was like the one time where it didn't work out.
4: Yeah, yeah, no. I want to make that very clear. Like, if they're not as good as they've been over the last few weeks, we're not even in the World Series to begin Correct. with. Correct. So you kind of have to count your lucky stars in that sense. Um the Texas bullpen was fantastic today. As much as even,
0: they didn't even use their high leverage guys until they got to Leclerc in the extra innings. Right.
4: And you at one point cuz I had asked you I was like these aren't even their best guys are they and you're like I it feels kind of like they're conceding in a 5 to 3 game. It did feel that way. It fe- it felt that way cuz they weren't throwing their top guys um but now looking back on it, you know, Corey Seager can flip the script at any point. Adolis Garcia is the hottest hitter on the planet. Uh, And we'll certainly be talking a lot about him tonight. I'm curious because I had read, I'd have to go back and look, but Adolis Garcia has been hitting the cover off the ball. However, he doesn't have a lot of walks in the postseason. He has 56 at-bats, one walk this offseason, or this postseason, excuse me. So here's my question. Why are you pitching to Adolis Garcia? If he's going to swing
0: it, Damn near everything. Why well, don't I give him the Bonds treatment, you mean? You don't have to intentionally walk the guy well, because he's dangerous s- on the base pads, too. We've seen how the Diamondbacks have operated when it comes to the unintentional, intentional walk, right? The, the Kyle Schwarber approach. The Bryce Harper approach. Right. They kind of did that tonight with Corey Seager in the— what was Not it? well it was enough. The, well, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about in the ninth. I'm talking yeah. about in the—what was it? It was the tenth. In the— bottom of the 10th inning Kyle Nelson stays in there and he's laboring for the most part and one of our colleagues was wondering like why why are they pitching to him why are they pitching to him walk him and to my response was well they're probably just doing the unintentional intentional walk right where if you get lucky that he makes contact and it goes into the ground and lo and behold that's what happened it obviously didn't result in anything good for them tonight but maybe we start to see that strategy employed, particularly with Garcia now.
4: I'm just I'm looking at this stat line. As crazy as some of these stats are for Garcia, 20 hits in the postseason, 22 RBIs, 8 home runs now in the postseason, but he's only got one walk. So why put the ball in the strike zone?
0: Sounds like he's willing to swing. He has a home run in five straight games in this wow. postseason. Six total, by the way. He has six total home runs in five games. So a home run in five straight games. And that you mentioned the 22 RBIs in a postseason. That's the most RBIs in a single postseason ever. And this is game one of the World Series. He's already got the record? So he's not done. My goodness.
4: Yeah, also, it, it does if, kind of feel like they encountered
0: the greatest hitter on the planet at the right time. Also, I love the list that he passed. He passed 2020 Corey Seager, who had 20. Oh, Seeger on the Dodgers, of course, now with the Rangers. So his teammate, and then 2011, David Fries, who had 21. Right. Do you remember what team David Fries beat up on in the 2011 on the Cardinals World Series? And they beat the Rangers. Almost cathartic in a sense. A little bit. A little bit of a revenge and eerie, because yeah. we're comparing a lot to 01, and well, now here's a comparison to the last time the Rangers were in the World Series.
4: And David Fries on the Cardinals, the team that gave away Adolis Garcia for nothing. Oh my gosh. Think of it that way. This is too
0: eerie. Because they traded him to the Rangers for cash. Yeah. For pretty much nothing. And then the Rangers DFA'd him at one point a couple of years ago. Nobody claimed him. Kept him. And he just worked his way back onto the roster. And now he's leading them potentially to a World Series title. He's slugging 804
4: in the postseason. An OPS over 1,200. Is that good? Yeah, that's really good. Think about it this way. Corey Seager is having one of the the better post seasons that you'll find. And his OPS is very high, too. But like Adolis Garcia is better at everything right now other than walks. Corey Seager walks a lot and hits a lot. Adolis Garcia just hits everything, which brings me back to my point. Why put the ball in the strike zone for Garcia in most scenarios? The guy is going to swing a lot. Throw the ball outside of the zone. I, I don't know. Maybe it's more complex than that,
0: but it. Just looking at the stat line, that's my initial thought. Adolis uh, Garcia, sorry to interrupt. Go for I'm it. Just scrolling through the great Sarah Lang's Twitter account as I normally do after She's games got great this. stuff. Adolis Garcia is the third player with two plus RBIs in four consecutive postseason games, joining 2020 Giancarlo Stanton when he was with the Yankees. Well, he's still with them. And 05, a name familiar to Diamondbacks fans, Reggie Sanders.
4: Yeah, Reggie when Sanders. When he was with
0: St. Louis, I believe.
4: To go back to the history of it all, uh, we mentioned earlier four road games in Diamondbacks World Series history. Obviously three of those were in 2001 then the other ones tonight. Mm -hmm. They've given up a two-run game-tying home run in the ninth inning specifically in three of those four games. Uh,
0: Three straight.
4: True. Scott (laughs) Brocious hit one. Tino Martinez hit one. And then tonight uh, Corey Seager hits the two-run home run. How much of this do you pin on Paul Seawald, who is the closer and has been great for the Diamondbacks? but he comes in in the ninth tonight, there's the walk, and then he gives up the two-run shot. Do you blame him or do you blame Ginkle for what he did the previous inning, which
0: sets up the lineup so that Corey Seeger comes to the plate in that scenario? So it's perfect you mentioned Ginkle, because I kind of thought about that for a second, because something that Gambo tweeted earlier. He says, can, you can blame Ginkle for allowing two to reach in the eighth, assuring that Seeger would bat in the ninth. Yeah, And then Seawalt, for sure, for walking the nine-hitter, when a solo home run wouldn't beat you it's yeah. like i mean like we said it's kind of the first time that there's a crack from this bullpen a chink in the armor because that's that's kind of what the bullpen has become for this team in the postseason they've become the armor and sooner or later the armor's going to get worn out it's funny because you know like you
4: ask your relievers to get out of an inning without giving up runs that's the most simplistic way to describe the job of a reliever, right, and so who am I to blame Kevin Ginkle for how he got through an inning clean? You know what I mean like he did his job technically, so is it too much of us to ask him to do it in less pitches or do it without allowing the one runner on base to allow Corey Seeger to hit the next inning? yeah, you know who am I to criticize a guy who did the job we asked him to do tonight, and now we look back on it and say, hey, uh, could you have done that better? Could you have done better so that the next guy didn't screw up? Here's what I would like. It
0: doesn't seem fair. As much as we've loved how the bullpen has basically closed out these games, uh, the offense stopped scoring after the fifth inning against a team that is pretty prone to scoring. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that. The last score in the fifth inning, Marte doubled
4: the center. Perdomo scored on that one to make it five to three. And then there was no action on either side until Corey Seager's two-run homer in the ninth. So that's essentially
0: three-ish innings that they went by with no score. They had one hit in the sixth, three up, three down in the seventh, a hit in the eighth. They went three up, three down in the ninth. In the 10th, they went 3-up, 3-down. And in the 11th, they went 3-up, 3-down. So they had two hits after they scored their last run of the night, the Diamondbacks' offense. Yeah, the postseason's been funny, right? Because you had the Dodgers series.
4: Well, okay, let's go all the way back to the wild card this team was down in both of those games in the wild card and had to score mid to late game to come back and claw their way to victory. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers series was the complete opposite. They jumped on starting pitchers. The Dodgers pitchers had an ERA over 25 in that series. So you were playing from ahead the entire series. Then Philly back to the way it was in the previous series with the Brewers, where now all of a sudden you have to come back in games and hit after the third inning. And now we're here in the world series and it's back to the reverse. So it's, It has been a bit of a roller coaster with where the run production is
0: coming from throughout the course of a game. I mean, I was encouraged early, but turns out that the Texas bullpen arms that they used were actually very successful at mitigating the Diamondbacks. And clearly, they scouted Nate Uvalde very well. They were trying to get after him early in the count, and they touched him up for five runs. But did you not... Prepare enough for anybody else that was going to come into the game. That's kind of feels like what we got. Again, two hits after they scored their last run in six innings of baseball. And that's it, not
4: good. As we were kind of talking about earlier, too, these weren't some of the best relievers that the Rangers have. Now, I think Cody Bradford's actually been a really understated good player in the postseason for them, um, but he's relatively unknown. But, like, Will Smith, Dane Dunning, those guys have postseason ERAs in the sixes. John Gray is not even typically a reliever. And he comes out late in this game and gets an inning in two-thirds. Uh, other than LeClerc and Bradford, the relative unknown here, mm-hmm. they weren't throwing some of their best guys. Josh Spores didn't play in this game. I mean, this Chapman is a guy—well, his statistics are much higher these days— That's a guy with postseason pedigree
0: that didn't play in this game. Dunning was a guy that was challenging for an all-star bid in the first half of the year as a starter. John Gray had an awesome month of April as a starter. And these guys got relegated to long relief duty. Like, they got the Taiwan Walker-Michael Lorenzen role that the Phillies gave them. Some of that has to do with adding guys
4: like Max Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery. Sure. Montgomery's been fantastic. Like, I'm I, not going to argue that. I no. still wish Montgomery had been a Diamondback. I thought for sure they were going to go. I mean, maybe they did go after Montgomery and just didn't get him. Um, but they're going to get him in game two. We'll talk about him a little bit later in the show when we preview game two. But, yeah, no, the the, the Rangers bullpen did everything tonight that the Diamondbacks bullpen usually does. And I think that's worth mentioning. Uh, before we go to break and take some calls here on the post-game show, we should talk about Cattell Marte a little bit. I know that in a loss, it's hard to find these moral victories, but Cattell Marte extended his hit streak in the postseason. He's played in 17 games in his postseason career, and he's got hits in every single one of them. And I think that that hit streak continuing is huge. He now, isn't he now tied for the all-time MLB record?
0: He's tied with Manny, Jeter and Hank Bowers, is it? I'm trying to, I got to pull off the note, but yeah. For the longest hit streak in postseason history. Yeah, he's gone from continuing the longest hit streak in opening a postseason run to now just tied for the longest postseason hitting streak. That's insane. And he has a chance to break it tomorrow. crazy. I think that's... Really impressive. Uh, more
4: things I want to hit on later in the show. We should talk more about Zach Gallen and his performance tonight, but also the base running tonight. The Diamondbacks were aggressive on the base pass, the way they were in games six and seven of the NLCS, uh, the way that I thought they should have been earlier in that series. They ended this game with, what, one, two, three,
0: four steals tonight? Christian Walker has five steals this postseason, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> and if he was team. hitting the ball at all, he would have more. And I'm not trying to be overly critical here. I think he's hitting below 100. I mean, like you said, he got another walk tonight. Yeah. His OPS is being carried by his on-base percentage right now. His OPS is 653 this postseason. His on-base is 351. He's still getting on the Like all I told you, it's time. carried.
4: Carrying yeah, him. Absolutely. All right, so the Diamondbacks drop game 1 to the Texas Rangers in Arlington, a walk-off home run by Adolis Garcia. How worried should the Diamondbacks be as they head into game 2 tomorrow? Call in and let us know. 602-260-9870 is the number to call. We want to chat with you about game 1. 602-260- 9870 some of your calls are next on the arizona sports world series post game special
1: are in the fall classic Arizona sports diamondbacks postgame special coverage presented by presidential pool spas and patio
0: and why refi here's the pitch there's a the swing high fly ball left field and deep carter back at the track out of room gone it's off the second deck and left and tommy Bam gives the diamondbacks the lead once again four to three on his third home run of the postseason
4: After Tommy Pham hit that home run and took the lead mid-game, he did an interview mid-game, I believe it was with Ken Rosenthal, and basically they were talking about, you know, you've been hitting the long ball occasionally, but the Diamondbacks' offense is typically they create their chaos with small ball. You see Geraldo Perdomo dropping down bunts every other at-bat. you got guys stealing bases, four of them in this game. And they, he was asked about that, and Tommy Pham basically said, yeah, that, that's that's our game, is small ball. I just decided I'm going to start hitting home runs. How did you approach that <laughs> at-bat?
0: Um, I hit a home run. I didn't want to strike out. Yeah, so I decided so to I hit I a home run. I did the opposite. <laughs> I love Tommy Pham. He's got great,
4: like, vibes, energy. Now, here's the thing, and I, I said this... Uh, in the Phillies series, and I believe it to be true here in the Rangers series, in the World Series, you are not going to outslug the Rangers. I believe. I know this is a Diamondbacks team that hit four home runs in an inning, first time that's ever happened. I think it was an extreme anomaly sure. in terms of the power. Sure. Uh, I realize guys like Alec Thomas has four home runs, Gabby Moreno has three. Those are not your power hitters in this lineup. Uh, I don't think you're going to be able to outslug the Rangers. And I think that was evident tonight when Corey Seeger hits a two-run homer to tie it in the ninth. Adolis Garcia hits the walk-off home run. Uh, two of the best hitters left in this postseason. Two of the best hitters in the league, period. Um, let's talk to some of the people who watched tonight's game. Let's talk to some people. Uh, you're out there. You want to get your thoughts over on the air to us.
0: 602-260-9870 is the number to call. Yeah, and just be patient because it's a two-man operation back here. It's... Steve looking pretty and doing a great job, and then oh, thanks, man. Me making sure that calls go through, and we got a full bank right now. So let's get right to it. We've got Dominic who's calling from Maricopa. Dominic, your thoughts on this game one loss?
5: Hey, how's it going, guys? So I think like the offense like was pretty good at the beginning. Like it was very promising to see, especially with, like the stolen bases. But I think just by the end, I was really shocked about how well the Rangers' bullpen actually held our offense at the end. Because I remember watching the Rangers' series when they were in Arizona, and I remember we had scored off them late multiple times. So I was mostly just shocked about how well the Rangers' bullpen performed later in the game.
4: Yeah, it's a good point, Dominic, and thanks for the call. Uh, the last run that they scored, the uh, the Diamondbacks, was in the fifth inning. And this game goes to extras. So for the second half of the game, they didn't score real missed opportunities because they had the lead at five to three from the fifth top of the fifth inning all the way until the bottom of the ninth. And so they had a long time to add to that lead. And a lot of missed opportunities resulted in them basically leaving the door open for the Texas Rangers. You mentioned the stolen bases, four of them tonight. Uh, the Diamondbacks made it a point over the last three games to really jump the base paths, and that's how they win games typically. They're going to make the opposing team beat them defensively, and so far, the Rangers and the Phillies certainly were not able to do that, but the Rangers were able to do it with the long ball tonight. Let's go
0: back to the phones. We've got Matt in Phoenix. Matt, your thoughts on this Game 1 loss?
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I called last week, and and I, I feel like I'm uh, it's kind of a broken record here, but why are they abandoning third base? It it, it it nipped them with Schwarber's cheap hit in the NLDS, and now again they abandon third base and it sets up a run to score. And I I don't I, I don't know. Maybe coaches are trying to outsmart the other team. I don't know, but you know, the fundamentals of baseball, it's like, man, you got to cover third base, and that's two outs that could have prevented runs twice. And I think that, you know, and, and once again, like I called last week, yeah, Zach Gallin, again, no mound presence. He's behind in the count. I don't know what's happened, if he just is cowering in the big spotlight. I don't know, because... I remember more games than not where he was lights out through five, six, seven innings. But it, it's like I, I don't know. I, I, I'm at a loss for words, and maybe you guys can can shed some light on it. But I thought the Diamondbacks played their asses off.
0: Sorry, I'm sorry if that was a no, bad you're, word. But, you're you're good with that one. You're good.
2: <laughs> you know, but I, the, 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 I, I just don't want to get your opinion on abandoning third base. I, I I just don't get it. I, I you just you just give a guy a, a fifty foot gap. to, I I, I don't know. I, I I'm at a loss for words. Like I said, I think I thought they played their. I thought I thought they you know, they they've been the Diamondbacks all you know a year. they would never give up, and I just love them love them so much. But God, it's just the simple stupid stuff that just
0: drives me crazy.
2: And uh, anyway, I'd like to get your thoughts off the air. Thanks for letting me vent. Yeah, Thanks, no,
0: no problem, Matt. That's what we're here for, was letting all of you guys vent and say words that are still appropriate for FCC airwaves. So <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about Gallen, but it sounds like you really want to hear our opinions on how they're shifting, these yeah. left-handed hitters. What I, do I you I think got that's on what that. I'm getting at. Look, tory has been very much driven to what the – I don't want to sound dumb when I say this, but he's very much driven to what the computer analytics are telling him. Right. Sure. He's very much going with what what are the stats saying? What are the percentages telling him when a left handed hitter comes to the plate? The likelihood is, is that they're going to be out in front of the pitch, no matter who the pitcher is, and they're going to force it to the right hand side of the field. That's the whole reason why the shift rule exists in the first place what? is because left handers were getting screwed over by a majority of their hits going to the right side of the field. And these teams were, were preparing as such By sticking a third fielder on the right side of second base. Now, with the way that it is, you obviously have to keep it two to the side. But they cheat by really forcing as much as you can to that right side of second base. And what he's referring to is when, was it Evan Carter had like a soft double to the left side? See, I And there's no one over to cover the bag? Yeah, it's, it's draining because you're watching what shouldn't statistically happen happen. As a result of not having a third baseman over there, was that Carter or Seager? I feel like this is a relevant. I thought Seager only had one hit. I thought it was. I'm pretty sure it was Carter. Okay, like early in the first inning. Okay,
4: yeah, I was going to say because I looked at uh, I looked up Corey Seager spray charts for 2023, and this might be irrelevant if it wasn't him. I don't recall, but. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would suggest this to our caller, Matt, who's, you know, last week we talked about the Kyle Schwarber dribbler past third base, which I I kind of chalked up as a a freak incident because he literally hit the ball off of the end of the bat. I'm not even talking about the end of the barrel. I'm talking about he swung so early that the ball hit the tip of the bat and dribbled down the third baseline for a hit. That's a freak thing, in my opinion. And we all know why they shifted Kyle Schwarber. I mean, statistically speaking, it makes the most sense. Uh, if it was Seager and and the spray chart that I'm looking at, this is an extreme pole hitter kind of guy. I don't know Evan Carter well enough. The guy's only been in Major League Baseball for a couple of months. Um, but if it was Seager, then, yeah, that would have to explain it. You got to go look at the spray charts. Everything this guy hits is to the right side with power. Um, most of the stuff to left field is fly balls. So that would be my response to that. Let's get to Zach Gallen for a second, because as a starting pitcher in this postseason, he has a 5.27 ERA. It kind of didn't really move today, statistically speaking. I think he was okay, but not good. Um Yeah, I think there's reason to be concerned. When your ace goes out and has a 1.5 whip in the postseason, is giving up too many runs, isn't going super deep into games, only through five innings today, uh, there's some cause for alarm there. Zach Gallen's given up 16 earned runs in this postseason. The next highest is five.
0: Merrill Kelly and Brandon Fott have both given up five. It's funny. I was looking at the starter ERAs today. It's a noticeable gap, like a three-run gap. Oh, coming into today, yeah. Gallon's ERA five point two seven. Merrill Kelly two point six five. Brandon fought two point seven zero. Now, let's think about just today, because if I'm not mistaken, it was kind of similar to how it was in Game Five. Game One, I try to forget from the NLCS, I should say. Game One of the World Series tonight. He gets roughed up in this in the first inning, then kind of calms down in the second. I think it was the one, two, three in the second, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he got touched up for another run again in the third or the fourth. Third. The third inning. And then in the fourth and the fifth inning, when everybody's thinking, oh, it's time for him to go because he's pitch count's getting high and he's looking kind of rough in some of these A-Bs, he shuts down the better part of the order on a very high pitch count. Yeah. It's a very mixed result that we're getting from Zach Gallen in these last two starts in particular, where the Phillies won. It's they scored early in the first. They touched him up. He calmed himself down for three innings. And then in the fifth inning, Schwarber and Harper hit the longest home runs we've seen all postseason, basically.
4: I think for me, it's that third inning that was pretty frustrating because you have the one-run lead. He walks Seager. Oh, that was... Ugh. Evan Carter doubled to left field. That's that's the one we're talking about. The dribbler past the third baseman. That's yes. the double. Yes. Seager gets to third. So you got second and third. He walks Garcia, which I don't think is necessarily the wrong idea there. And now you've got bases loaded, and he walked Garver. He walked three hitters in one inning, and when walking home a run, whether it's the game-tying run like it was or uh, otherwise, walking home a run is demoralizing as a team. All with two outs. All of it with two outs. And the fact that he did get the fly out right after that is his saving grace. But yeah, to do that with two outs, to walk three hitters, and one of them gets to bring home a run— Uh,
0: That's pretty abysmal from your ace. And see, it's funny because Matt, again, goes back to the he doesn't he doesn't have like that imposition. Is it is that the word I'm looking for? Whereas like Randy Johnson's up on the mound and you're like, ah, crap. Here comes the fastest ball on this weird left handed arm angle where his arm doesn't even go into his cocked back motion until he's coming forward. Like you're scared to death. Right. And Schilling was kind of the same way when he was here in Arizona. It's funny. So Gallon, when he puts on the goggles, I kind of feel a little intimidated. Don't you? Yeah, oh, yeah, a little bit, but not in the way like you're talking with Randy. Like
4: sure. Randy was on our news station today, right? And one of the questions was, if you were on this Diamondbacks team, there's no way you're letting Tori pitch anyone but you in Game Four. Like you wouldn't allow Randy Johnson wouldn't allow a bullpen game in the World Series. Sure. He'd be out there for Game One and then Game Four. Now I know in 2001 he pitched Games Two, Six, and Seven, so it's it's a different story. But if he were pitching in Game One, he would be in Game Four. I don't know right now if they get to Game Four and they're still looking at a bullpen game. I don't know that I want Zach Gallon pitching Game Four. No, because quite frankly the bullpen's been better than him. I know that well, they had their moments tonight, but I think that I I don't think
0: Zach Gallon is up for Game Four right now. Well, I mean, we in have, my mind, we had the same conversation NLCS Game Seven, like gallons available out of the bullpen but I, I'd rather have the bullpen yeah you know they're used to the situation they're good at that job they've been good throughout
4: the postseason I don't know that I trust Zach Gallon to pitch on short rest right now
0: I'd I'd rather just wait until game five possibly We'll see where they're at when they get to Game 4. All right, let's go back out to the phones. Again, we've got a full bank, but if you want your turn to call in, 602-260-9870. Again, 602-260-9870. Again, full bank, so be patient. Wait for your turn. Uh, right now, it is Josh in Glendale's turn. Josh, we want your thoughts on this Game 1 loss.
3: Oh, man. Hey, thank you guys for taking my call. I've called in a couple times, and... Um I got a nickname for you guys. It's the talk blockers because everything I want to talk about, you already talk about. <laughs> oh, so shoot. Like, I don't know what else to say. But <laughs> Say everything um, we said again.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, I I love this game. I never thought we were out of it, you know, and uh, we were I, – I didn't think we were going to lose it until the bottom of the ninth. I mean – it says a lot about this team, and um, I think that our pitchers kind of, you know, let us down. I mean, the, not the pitchers, but the, the bullpen, as far as, you know, trying to pitch around guys and be careful. They should have, you know, been a little more aggressive and relied on their defense. And we got the best defense in the league, you know? why? Why? Why are you going to shy away from that? So... Um shouldn't have gone into extra innings, but uh, hey, thanks again for taking my call, guys.
0: No problem, Josh, and sorry that we're such um, <clears throat> talk blockers. No, he even said some things that I, I hadn't even gotten to yet. Well, bullpen well being let's more aggressive? Just have Josh talk about it.
4: So <laughs> <laughs> let's have him call back in. Uh, no, the bullpen, he says the bullpen should have been more aggressive. Let the defense play their game. Yeah, this is a good defensive team. There's no doubt about that particularly in the outfield when they've got Alec Thomas. And Guriel, I think, is an under, underrated defender, and he made some good plays tonight. Corbin Carroll's obviously a great player in the outfield. Um, defensively in the infield, I think Perdomo's made some really impressive plays. Marte in previous games in this postseason has been really good. Uh, Christian Walker made an uncharacteristically odd play today on a dribbler down the first baseline that appeared to be a fair ball but he stepped out of bounds and rerouted over first base, the bag, and caught that ball. It's a foul ball because he was standing foul at right. the time that he left the ground to catch the ball. Um, that was. It's not like that cost them the game. Don't get me wrong.
0: Oh, it, what it, do you mean?
4: It was the entire. No, 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 no. It's not. It, I don't even remember what happened to that at bat afterwards. No, I don't but, um, but it was just an uncharacteristic bad play by Christian Walker. Not even bad. Just. You know, like usually he makes that play and it looks and we all look at ourselves like, man, how did he even think to stay in bounds? Um, so, yeah, I agree with the caller. I agree with Josh that you let your defense play. But at the same time, the Rangers out hit the bullpen tonight. It's not like they were pitching around everybody and you walked in the game ruining run. You know,
0: Garcia hit that ball over the wall. Seager bat. hit the ball over the wall. They had some very good at-bats. There's no defense wise. you can do to protect from that. We probably should have gotten the hint when Ryan Thompson walked about her with two outs that the Rangers were kind of prepared for this. The only one who looks awesome tonight out of the pen was Joe Mantiply. Which, you know, he hadn't necessarily had that role. That was Andrew Solfrank for the longest time. Let's squeeze in one more and then we'll take a... Okay. Uh, quick break uh jb in scottsdale your thoughts on this game one loss
5: hey guys yeah i'm a huge astros fan and i watched every game and every pitch of that astros rangers game and i can tell you wait wait, hold on can i cut you off real quick
0: sorry um are you one of the astros fans that's upset that it's this world series and as a result you're going to tank the tv ratings and not watch
5: no, no. We okay. Astros Nation is all behind the D-backs. I can tell oh, you that. Okay. All <laughs> right. We hate w- Yeah, we hate the Rangers. I live here in Scottsdale and I can tell you even fans I run across who are Houston fans, they are they are pro uh Arizona all the way. So Okay. Welcome aboard. Uh, we're all we're all for you. But I can tell you though in game 7 uh Corey Seager hit a two-run homer. Off Christian Javier, on the exact same pitch and speed, four-seam fastball, 93.5 miles per hour, that Seawald pitched tonight. That Seeger hammered out for a two-run homer. I I, uh, I posted on my Twitter uh, the two screenshots of the pitches on uh, my Twitter handle ball club b a l l c l u b, and you can see the images. It's it's uncanny, and I'm you know I'm a big Brent Strom fan because he turned around the pitching staff in Houston. He can scout. Opponents better than anyone, and I'm just shocked that they got anywhere near what Javier threw for that two-run homer. i exact same pitch. Um, so I know, see, C- uh, C- I'm sorry, Seawall C- probably wanted to get it higher in the zone, but so did Javier. You just don't go there with with uh, Seeger. He will punish you. Yeah, check out those two screenshots. And you'll see. And then also just do not pitch to Adolis anywhere near the center of the plate like um, like Nelson did. Put it on the edges. You know, um, don't give him any chance to hit it because he will punish you as well. So check out that screenshot. I'd love to see what Strom uh, and Seeger I'm sorry, Seawalt have to say about that. If, if you guys get the sound on that.
4: Yeah, appreciate the call, JB. And interesting that apparently uh, the Astros are buying the D-backs. I didn't know that.
0: Well, it's either Um, they're buying the D-backs or they're protesting the World Series, like some columnists were putting out there earlier today. Um,
4: My reaction, so I'm looking at the screenshots that he said he posted on Twitter. Me too. And he's totally right. I mean, it is the same pitch in the same spot. Here's the issue uh, for why it happened again. Paul Sewald lives high in the zone with a fastball. That's one of his two pitches. It plays off of his sweeper. It's, yeah, it's literally two pitches. And, and Paul Sebald has said this in postgame uh, press availabilities. This, this, is not, this is an admitted thing about Paul Sebald, is he's going to throw high fastballs, and he's going to throw sweepers that would be lowing into a lefty or lowing away to a righty. That's just what he does. That's the mix. Uh, and he's quite good at it, by the way, because everybody knows those are his two pitches, and it still works for him. So that's why he pitched high in the zone to Corey Seager. Now, you can make the argument he got too much of the plate on that one. I, I can't argue with that. Um, but Corey Seager's an incredibly
0: good hitter and a particularly swell postseason player. Who, we just talked about it. He already had one ridiculous postseason run yeah. where he was the championship series and World Series MVP for the Dodgers back in 20. All right, it sounds like we're about to rendezvous with um, our Alex Weiner, our lead Diamondbacks writer, who's in Arlington. So what we'll do is we'll take a break. So to those of you that are currently waiting on hold, so that's Joseph, Zeem, Luis, and Gabriel, hang tight, because when we come back, we're going to talk with Alex Weiner, who's calling in from Texas, here on the Arizona Sports World Series postgame special. Arizona Sports Diamondbacks postgame special
2: presented by Presidential Pool Spas, and Patio,
4: and Y-Refi. The Arizona Diamondbacks drop Game 1 of the World Series in walk-off fashion for Adolis Garcia and the Texas Rangers. He hits a solo shot over the right field wall. The fact that it was an oppo taco also just kind of stings Makes a little bit. Makes it hurt. Bit. Makes it hurt a lot. Uh, a two-run shot in the bottom of the ninth from Corey Seager, postseason legend. Uh, made it a tie game, sends it to extra innings where Garcia would do the rest with his bat. Uh, certainly not the way you want to start the World Series. I think that's an understatement. The Diamondbacks got a average to below average appearance from their starter, Zach Gallen, who, as we talked about earlier in the show, just not good enough.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know whose thoughts I'm curious on Zach Gallon's outing? A man who actually... Got to hear from and talk to Zach Allen after Game 1, and that, of course, is our own Alex Weiner, who is calling in from Globe Life Field in Arlington after a 6-5, 11-inning loss to the Texas Rangers in Game 1 of this World Series. Alex, first of all, hi, how are you? Hi. (laughs) I just want to make sure, because there was the one game where you just wanted to make sure, yeah, we're good, it's fine, Um, because you've been traveling a lot, man, and we are always appreciative of the work you're doing. And I want to know first and foremost what you take away, particularly from Zach Gallen's outing tonight.
7: Yeah. Um, again, first inning, it's been tough. I mean, that's four out of his five postseason starts where he's given up multiple runs in the first inning. I think it was two, 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 two. two so, um, and third in a row, we did that twice against the Phillies. So, yeah, they got on him early. Um, he, he said they they were laying off some pitches that you know he, he felt were decent pitches out of the zone, came back over it and he got hit hard and um, just falling behind too many hitters early. But from there he was aggressive. He I think he hit a 0-2 count on four batters or five batters in a row. Got a few strikeouts and um, you know after the two runs in the first inning he gave up one run over the next four that's more like it. Uh, so he, and he, at the end of the day, he put them, at least he had them in position, potentially go get a win, got to the fifth inning after throwing uh 60 something pitches through three innings. So it, it certainly wasn't the sharpest, but, um, you know, after a pretty difficult first inning, he was you know much better about starting off hitters with strikes. And, um, he was able to get at least deep enough into the game to get their A-list bullpen guys in there and try to bridge the gap.
4: I don't know that Torrey Lavella would even consider Zach Gallen for a Game 4, uh, seeing as how he refused to pitch him on short rest in the NLCS. I know Game 4 is Tuesday, so that is a pretty quick turnaround. I don't even think Zach Gallen's in discussion in my mind right now for a Game 4. I think that they have to figure it out with somebody else. And this isn't me being overly critical of Zach Gallen. It's just if he can't do it on regular rest, how do we expect him to be the ace on short rest?
7: I mean, you got to look at the innings that he's built up this entire year. I mean, he's never surpassed 200 innings in a in a season. Uh, oh, after tonight's game, I have to go back and calculate, but I think he's up around 240 innings for the season. So it's it's a significantly increased workload this year compared to any other year he's had in pro ball. So it's not only just like, you know, can he go on short rest? Can he muscle it out? But it's it's you know they're going to have to handle this um, the way that they can keep him healthy and able to go while also trying to get the most out of him. So it's a difficult balance. I, I don't, I don't, can't see it doing good. Can't see them going short rest there. He, he mentioned that, you know, or Tori Lovello mentioned before the series started, it would be gallon Kelly fought, and then they'll figure it out on the fourth day. I imagined it will be something quite similar to what we saw in game four against the Phillies.
0: Well, so it's funny you mentioned that because we noticed that the roster going into this world series, they added Jace Peterson back and they took Slade Sacconi off. And it almost feels kind of painfully coincidental, ironic, I don't know which word it is, that here they are, game one of the World Series, they have to go to extra innings, and then they'll have to do a bullpen game three games from now, and they're down one pitcher.
7: Yeah, I'm making jokes in the press box of this game, was going to go 18 innings, and they left Slade Zaccone off, and Jace Peterson wasn't even going to get that bat. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of how it worked they didn't end up needing, you know, Ryan Nelson or State a much in that Philly series. They played cleanup duty. They probably could have gone without one of the two. Um, neither of them factored into game four. So, uh, the thinking there was they would have liked to have had another left-handed bat who could play in the infield, um, available off the bench. That's what Peterson can give you. And with one of those two guys as sort of the cleanup role can eat innings. That's what they went with. So, um, yeah. You know, in a game like this, you don't anticipate necessarily going to extra innings uh, in the first game. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a tough way to lose. But, you know, if this game goes 16 innings and you probably need Ryan Nelson at some point, and that gives you questions. But I I don't know. They, they didn't need either of those two guys in a bullpen game last series. So,
4: Talking with our D-backs insider, Alex Weiner, who is live from deep in the heart of Texas. Uh, Adolis Garcia is the hero tonight, and I want to talk a little bit about him because late in the NLCS, the Diamondbacks figured out a way to approach Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper that worked for them. They were going to pitch around them, not intentionally walk them, but kind of, eh, if we walk them, that's better than them hitting the ball over the wall, which Schwarber did five times. Uh, Is that an approach they need to take with Garcia, considering the fact that he's swinging at almost everything? Now, he's hitting a lot of it. Don't get me wrong. He's on another level. But this guy has one walk this entire postseason, only one. Is it time to start avoiding the strike zone around Adolis Garcia?
7: Hey, that one walk was today. So you say what you will, he ended up working a walk. And, um, you know, a big reason why the Diamondbacks lost this game was because they walked 10 hitters. And so, you know, they were pitching around Corey Seeger a little bit early and he walked twice and he scored both times. So, yeah, it worked against the Phillies for the most part. But I don't know if you want to fall in love with being OK walking guys. Obviously, they're going to pitch around them. It's yeah, you know, they're not gonna try to walk them, but they're gonna they're gonna be careful with those two guys. And I, I don't think the game plan was ever to not be careful with those two guys. So um yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't imagine that I don't know what the best way to kind of answer this is, but I, I can't imagine that they would, you know, try to, you know, be okay with walking these guys. I just feel like they're gonna they're gonna be careful. It is what it is. You right. guys are hot.
0: Yeah, no kidding. All right, let's uh, switch to some of the guys that are tasked with facing Garcia, particularly the uh, core four more so that it has been for most of this postseason, kind of sewing, showing some cracks in the armor and most, mostly highlighted Seawold, but it was really Thompson and Ginkle as well in terms of Thompson had a four pitch walk. I believe it was with two outs in the inning. Ginkle allowed a couple of runners on like really taxing innings from all three of those guys tonight. Is this kind of now the, the first moment that we've really seen the weakness of those three?
7: I mean, this was the worst game collectively that they've pitched this postseason. Most assuredly, um, You're right. None of them were particularly sharp. Um, That's a really, really tough inning from Ginkley. He ends up getting out of it. Um, But in doing so and letting a couple of base runners get on, um, just kind of looking over the score sheet here, I mean, the walks, again, just crushing in this game for the Diamondbacks, and it impacted all three of those guys. Um, By letting a couple of runners get on, You know, that allows the Rangers to flip the order in the bottom of the ninth, and that gives Corey Seager an opportunity there and then obviously Seawald walking the leadoff hitter Leody Taveras, good player, but he's not the guy you want to walk ahead of Simeon, Seeger, and Carter. So, I mean, it just gave them an opportunity to tie the game. And he gets Simeon out, but first pitch to Corey Seeger. It's a fastball up, and to Seawald, you know, based on the way that Seeger jumped on that pitch, that felt like after the game, Seawald, or that that's the pitch that Seeger was anticipating first pitch. And Seeger, after the game, said, "Well, you know, when you face good pitchers, you." Don't want to give them one. So he attacked that first pitch. We saw it was a strike and that's it. And you end up going to extra innings and the walks hurt again, but ultimately it was the home run that did it.
4: The T-backs offense had no issue jumping on Nate Uvalde early in this one tomorrow for game two. They get the lefty, Jordan Montgomery, who's been good, you know, perfect record of three and zero. the ERA is right around two. everything looks, you know, hunky dory. But then you look at the opposing batting averages and he's very hittable. Uh, how different will the lineup look tomorrow for a game against a lefty starter? And is that a good thing?
7: Yeah, they've seen Montgomery a couple times this year. They he pitched against them last time they played each other back at Chase Field. There's some familiarity there. I imagine the lineup would look similar to what we've seen against left-handed pitching. You know, Patel will move up, Corbin will move down to two, and we'll see what they do as far as the Alec Thomas Emmanuel Rivera swap. I mean, they did that against the Phillies and it ended up working out okay, especially in game seven when Rivera gets single and starts this inning where they come back when they were down two one and they take a three two lead. Um and then Thomas will play a role later in the game. So if that's an option or you leave Thomas in there for his defense, got a couple of hits today, although they were both in the infield. Um yeah, I think it would be kind of business as usual.
0: Alex Weiner, who's our lead writer, covering the Diamondbacks for us at Arizona Sports, joining us from Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. Um, to stick with the struggles that the team has had offensively, I'm looking at the statistic for on-base percentage of Christian Walker in this postseason, and it's three fifty one, which is great. The problem is it is also worth half of his OPS so far this <laughs> postseason. Do you personally anticipate... Any sort of change when it comes to Christian, at worst case, his spot in the order tomorrow?
7: Personally, um, I mean, I wouldn't think so. I mean, he's been their cleanup hitter all year. So I wouldn't imagine it to change Yeah, He's having a tough stretch. Um, today was another tough day for him. He's, he's been walking a decent amount. The walk rate's been high, but um, yeah, he hasn't really been able to barrel up anything. But I mean, they're not going to turn away from that at this point in the season. I'd be pretty surprised by that.
4: Is there any scenario where you could see Jordan Lawler getting a call for one game, at least to start, to try to fill a void at the bottom of this lineup where Evan Longoria, I realize he scores today. Uh, Emmanuel Rivera has struggled at times. Is there any scenario where you think Jordan Lawler, the rookie, gets on the field to try to jumpstart this offense at the bottom of the
7: lineup? Not as a starter. I mean, they've... They've really hardly used him at all this postseason. And, you know, he has a roster spot. He's, he's there for a reason still. Um, but it, I think it's more of an emergency deal. Like if this game kept going and they made some defensive adjustments and they made you know, pitch runners and all that kind of stuff, um, that's more likely the situation. But um, they haven't started him. They haven't really used him as a pinch hitter much in, in any sort of high leverage or any situation like that. So now I wouldn't think so.
0: Last one, at least from me, Steve. I don't know if you have another one to ask Alex. Uh, But Merrill Kelly going at it tomorrow. He looked awesome in his last start against the Phillies in Game 6. What's kind of your expectation for what Merrill will get tomorrow in terms of, I guess, workload more so than anything else?
7: Again, I I think it'll be pretty similar to what we've seen out of him. I mean, um, yeah, last time they they clipped him a little bit early um, just because they had it set up with the bullpen the way that they wanted. So they let him go five. Um, they pulled him. He had a, a, a very good final inning there. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, get to through the order a couple of times, see where he's at, um, extend him if he's going well. I, I think it'll be pretty similar to the way that they've handled him. I know the bullpen's a little bit, you know, taxed, you know, a lot of pressure pitches. So that'll certainly play a role into it. Maybe they lean on him further. Um, but I mean, I, I don't expect 115 pitches out of him. If that's what you're asking. Yeah,
4: understandable. Hey, Alex Weiner, our D-backs insider, on the road once again for the fourth time now. Uh, Well, I guess even more than that when you consider how long the series have been, but uh, been covering the team for us on the road and at home all postseason long. is there
0: anything on the Dallas slash Arlington bucket list? Cowboy boots?
7: Uh, uh, (laughs) I I have not come up with a bucket list for Dallas slash Arlington. So if anybody knows anything, just hit me up. The JFK assassination museum? Oh my God. I haven't. No, I'm just I haven't, serious. I know you're serious. But I grew up in Dallas. I know what's going on <laughs> in Dallas. Well, you, then why don't you send me some bucket list ideas? Right, I, no, I know nothing about Dallas.
4: Yeah, the JFK Museum. Kind of interesting. Although it's a little weird because that's where he died. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, South please. Fork Ranch, where they filmed the TV show Dallas. You could go there. Uh, Jerry World's just across the street if you want to go
0: after the game. I know. What about a food staple? Do you got a food staple for Alex? No, not really. All right. We'll just text Alex. All right. We'll do you, that. And if you know stuff about Dallas, tweet Alex yeah, wh- at Alex J. Weiner on Twitter. My parents live in Dallas. They'll make you a good meal.
4: <laughs> uh, I'll take it. He's hesitant. I can tell. All right. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate you checking in, man. We'll talk thanks, to you soon. Thanks,
7: Alex. All right, appreciate you guys.
4: All right, that's Alex Weiner. Go check out his stuff. Arizonasports.com covering all things diamondbacks and this world series. All right, coming up next, taking some of your more of your calls on the post-game show. 602-260-9870 is the number to call. We're gonna get your reaction to what happened here in game one and what is to come in game two. We'll look a little bit ahead at what is to come. That's coming up next on the Arizona Sports World Series post-game special. t backs
1: are in the Fall Classic. Arizona Sports Diamondbacks post-game special. Coverage presented by Presidential Pool, Spas & Patio, and Y-Refi. You can definitely see that he was going up there looking to get on top of a high fastball. Um, part of the million questions I answered yesterday, the fact that I faced this team a million times and, and typically only faced the first five hitters. And so not the first time I faced all those guys, and I assume it won't be the last one probably this
0: series. we we'll just have to disguise how I'm going to get to, get them out and um, just try and learn from this and get better. Something we haven't really touched on much, Steve, is the familiarity that closer Paul Seawald, who you just heard there post-game, has with this Texas Rangers team as a former member of a division rival in the Seattle Mariners. You would think that'd be an advantage. For who, though, I guess would be the question. Yeah. Because clearly it was Advantage Rangers tonight. There's So you've coined uh, the Paul Seawald experience. I've which, coined it, Bickley Murata coined it. Sure, somebody, yeah. somebody has the original minting. It's fine. And I, I guess, don't need credit. I guess what
4: makes that so funny to say is that it is an experience that comes in totality. Like, it's not just him dominating. It's not just strikeouts. It's not just saves. No, it's not just clean innings. it is not innings. just that, uh, ladies and gentlemen. More often than not, Paul sewald has been great with the Diamondbacks. Converting yes. tons of saves, closing out games. It's something, quite frankly, it's a role that hasn't been filled successfully in a long time for this organization.
0: Like, J.J. Putz was probably the last really good closer that they could rely on. I mean... He wasn't the last closer of the last team that was in the postseason, but no. he was a big part of that 11 team. Who was the closer in 17? Team. It wasn't Archie, right? Uh, La Lafleca. Rodney, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's not a reliable closer either. But he was the in closer. No, no, no. But because that's my point,
4: is you and, haven't had a good one in a long time. And like at
0: that time, everybody's clamoring for Archie Bradley to be the new closer, and then right. even he didn't pan out the way that they had hoped to. So, no. to your point, yeah, you're right. Maybe it's been since Putz. Puts, JJ Valverde. Puts.
4: I mean, that's it. That's, that's the history of the Diamondbacks right there. Yeah. And Paul Sewald has been in that upper echelon of guys, it, it, even though he's only been here like two and a half months. That's where we're at. And he's been so good. But the thing about the Paul Seewald experience is, often, it's not the cleanest of innings, he's, he's going to give up one hit, or he's going to walk one guy, but he's going to get the job done. It's not always perfect, it's not always pretty, but he's going to get the job done. He doesn't have electric stuff. He throws fastballs high in the
0: zone. He throws sweepers low and away to righties. And he comes at you from like a three-quarters close to halfway arm angle. Yeah, that's the Paul Seawald experience.
4: And more often than not, it works. Tonight, it did not. And a lot of that has more to do with Corey Seager and the way that he can hit the ball rather than Paul Seawald being at fault. And it doesn't help that Kevin Ginkle had a rough inning before that. A clean yet rough inning that because of the hit and because of the walk, Sets up Corey Seager to be
0: at the plate at the end of the ninth inning. Right. The last guy that you want to have coming to the plate, if you're the Diamondbacks, in the ninth inning with a chance to, at that scenario, tie the game. And what did he do on the very first pitch? Tie the game. All right, yeah. let's get to a few more calls, and then we'll look ahead to a very pivotal Game 2 tomorrow. We're going to start with Zeme in Phoenix. Zim, your thoughts on this Game 1 loss?
1: The you're the In the thank you for calling, taking my phone call. I appreciate
4: it. Zim, turn your radio off. There you go. Uh, <laughs> All right, go ahead. Know?
0: Yes, you're good. Go ahead. Go ahead, Zeem.
2: Thank you for taking my phone call. I appreciate it. Uh, the reason I call, I just want to make a thank you very much for the Diamondback. They are a good players, and I want to make a compliment. Whatever's listening to the radio or they not listen, they like it, they don't like it. We're from Phoenix. We're supporting every Phoenix team.
4: Yeah, hard to argue that. Appreciate the call, Thanks Zim. Thanks so much, uh, Zim. Yeah, everybody's behind the Diamondbacks right now. There's no doubt about that. Despite a win in Game 1, I think that that, that that that's not going to discourage a whole lot of fans in town.
0: Let's go to Gabriel in Mesa. Gabriel, your thoughts on this Game 1 loss? <laughs> Yeah, fellas, thank you for taking my call tonight. Um, my
1: thoughts are kind of all over the place, um, and I'll just start with uh, Zach Gallin. Um I don't know about you guys or even if I should feel this way, but it, I feel like it's kind of concerning what we've seen from him in the postseason. You know, he's, this guy is supposed to be your ace, and several times he's put us, you know, behind um, in the games that he started. Um, you know, today he came in, gave up the two runs in the first inning, um, then pitched, and, it, you know, we got the uh, lead back in the second, I believe. Um, then he came in and gave up the lead again, and it's just like you expect a lot more from him, you know? So um, <clears throat> my other thought is, man, where's Christian Walker at? This guy just can't hit right now, and I don't, you know, that's, that should be concerning as well. This guy has been um, pretty decent all season, but he's just disappeared. Like, he he just you know, he's just gone. Um, other than that, you know, it was unfortunate what happened in the ninth inning, but through eight innings, the Diamondbacks looked like a better team than the Rangers. And, I, you know, I posted on my Facebook tonight uh, the brand of baseball that the Diamondbacks play, man, is just beautiful. It's the way that the game should be played. Um, and uh, lastly, you know, it's a seven game series. I still think they will win it, but it's, game two is going to be very important. Um, With that said, thank you again for taking my call. Yeah, Yeah. no problem, Gabriel.
4: Uh, So two things there to talk about. Let's start with Zach Gallen, because we talked with Alex Weiner, our D-backs insider from Arlington uh, just a few minutes ago, and he brought up a good point. Zach Gallen threw 210 innings in the regular season. He's thrown 27 and a third in the postseason. I'm not great at math, but I added that up, and that's 237.1. 237 and a third. So almost 240 innings, his career high— was last season at 184. So he has thrown a tremendous amount of innings more on top of his already previous high workload. So are we starting to see Zach Allen uh fatigued at the end of the season and after a long postseason run? That's a plausible uh, thing that you could say about Zach Gowan and why he's sort of deteriorated in this postseason.
0: It's plausible if it was happening on back-to-back innings, but it's not. It's the first inning, and then he calms down for three, and then he blows up again in an inning later. Like the inconsistency with the whole, oh, he looks dreadful, and then, oh, but he just gave us three good innings, and we're staying in it. And the offense came up. Came up big and let's go and Gallen just did a great job. He had an awesome five innings. Blah blah blah, but it 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 didn't feel awesome. It's 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 just not complete. I don't know if it's fully fatigue because I feel like fatigue it would happen multiple innings in a row. It's not happening multiple innings in a row. It's happening early, and then it's happening a few innings later. It 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 doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Why it's happening this way? Because it's not the same part of the order both times, is it? Well, actually, it is, now that I think about it. Evan Carter starting at both times. So, the other point that the caller
4: made uh, was about Christian Walker, how he's kind of disappeared. He's hitting 163 in the postseason in its entirety. And he was much better early in the postseason than he is now. Uh, on base, 351. He's walked 12 times in the postseason. If you add it all up, it's funny. He's not hitting at all, right? But he's still been on base more in the postseason than anyone not named Cattell Marte or Corbin Carroll. Steve.
0: That's insane. What does Billy Bean always say? (laughs) Well, in the movie? He gets on base. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that he ever said that in real life. Sorry, my man man Jackson texted me and he's like, there's got to be some sort of a... Moneyball A's joke in there with Christian Walker Do I care how he gets on base? No You do not <laughs> he gets Do a, I care if it's a Walker or a hit? He gets on 35% of the time this postseason I know and that's great And He's, he's had the patience six. I wish everyone else had But he's not, but he's not hitting the he's ball He's not hitting like everybody else is also, somebody that maybe maybe we should keep a closer eye on, Gabby went 0 for five tonight, yeah, in the three hole. I think you got to remember, and I'm not
4: trying to make an excuse here. I think every now and then you got to remember that a twenty three year old rookie can't have a great game every single game in the postseason, and he's come through more often than not. right.
0: I'd say he's been probably like their fourth best player in the postseason, so he, he and that's asking the, a lot of him. He had the big hit in game four. That won them the game. Walk-off, yeah. He had a big hit in Game 7 that gave them the lead in that game. I don't know. 0-5 with three strikeouts is not the greatest first impression in a no, World Series. No. He's probably going to have an easier time with Montgomery tomorrow, but I don't know. When you're already not getting a lot out of the 4-hole, you can't have the 3-hole go 0-5. Yeah. He's also not been hit in the head a bunch of times. <laughs> so <laughs> He's I'll throw him just, a bone, I guess. He needs to stop getting beat up. All right. Uh, last two callers. Let's go to Marcos. Who's calling from Mesa. Marcos, your thoughts on this game one loss.
8: Hey guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, my thing is like, you know, at the end of the game, I'm sorry, not the end of the game, but you know, the, the Homer, the Seager tie ball game and uh, all that jazz and stuff. Okay, cool. We're in a fight now. Right. Uh, Now we're going to really deepen our bullpen. When Castro comes in, we've known all season that Castro is very wild, big arm, but very wild. Um, I just have a question for you guys like, would you put him, would you put Garcia on and and then face somebody else? Or, you know what I mean? The end result was walk off home run, right? But, um, that's my question to you guys. But uh, before you guys answer that, I, I'm I'm proud of of how we battled today, and and uh, you know we, we showed the world that hey we're here, and uh, we ain't gonna we ain't gonna lay down for nobody, right? Like, but my question to you guys to you guys is would you guys put Garcia on?
0: Thanks so much for the call, Marcos, and the good question too, because. I wanted to look back into the game log to figure out, okay, well, what was the scenario that Castro was coming into? Kyle Nelson literally got Evan Carter out, and Castro is brought in specifically to face Ca- uh, Garcia, right? That's kind of how I read it. And he failed, for lack of a better word, tonight.
4: Well, I'm looking at the at-bat in its totality, right? So- okay. Pitch number one, a slider way outside the zone. I think that's a smart pitch. I know you hate to start with ball one, right? But uh, with how Garcia has been playing in this postseason, he's been hitting, he's the hottest hitter on the planet right now. Yeah. Uh, the only guy that's in that conversation with him is probably Corey Seeger, who hit the home run to tie the game. But you start a pitch with a, a ball outside of the zone, and I think you do that because he's swinging so much. He's only got the one walk this whole postseason, and it was tonight. In like 46 at-bats. She so took him long enough, this right? This is not a patient hitter we're talking about. He's a good hitter, not a patient hitter. So starting off with that ball, I agree with. Then there's a change-up low and away uh, that's ball two. You're down 2-0 now. Third pitch is that same exact change-up in almost the same spot, but he catches the zone. The ball uh, three comes on the fourth pitch. Another change-up low and away. So he goes to the same pitch three times in a row. That's uh, interesting. He's now thrown four off-speed pitches to start the at-bat. Now he goes sinker, 96 miles an hour, low in the zone. And kind of a little bit eh, a little bit on the inside half. And Garcia manages to be late to that ball because because it's, it's a high-speed pitch. Right. And he still hits it over the right field wall. I don't think that's a huge mistake by Castro. Is he the greatest relief pitcher they have? No. But they had already used all their best relief pitchers. Is it a tough task to be asked to be brought in to face the hottest hitter on the planet in the 11th inning? Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. There's almost no scenario that would have been better. Um, so to your point, Marcos, I think they did try to pitch around Garcia. They threw four straight off-speed pitches to start the at-bat, and almost all of them could have been called balls. Three of them were. And then he goes into the strike zone, low in the zone on a sinker, and Garcia beat him. And There's just, really no way around. Just that. missed over the lower half of the plate. I don't even think he missed. I mean, that ball's got to be in the strike zone, or else you walk him.
0: And so uh, I, look, I don't know. Again, you don't want to give him anything to hit. So uh, and then we've we've been having this conversation every segment. Like, at what point do you not give him something to hit? Because his 22 RBIs this entire postseason, he's on a five-game home run streak. Yeah. Like, at what point do you just say enough? The other problem, We're not throwing to you.
4: The other problem, though, is you walk Garcia. It's not like walking Kyle Schwarber. You walk Kyle Schwarber, Schwarber's sitting over at first base, and he probably ain't going nowhere on his own. Sure. You walk Adolis Garcia, and what did he do tonight right after he got hit in the hand? Very first pitch he took off. He stole second base. OK, he's, but he's, I, he's got that ability to create on the base pads the way that a lot of the Diamondbacks players do. And so it's not as easy as just, OK, let's pitch around him and maybe we walk him and we're OK with that. No, you can't be OK with that because this guy can swipe second base. He might even be able to swipe third base from
0: you if you're I not mean, careful. Look, there's reasoning for it, too. Seawald is not very f- quick to the plate. And at that point, you're just wondering, OK, can I beat Gabby Moreno's throw? And Gabby's throw was high. So, Yes. You could beat Gabby Moreno's throw. I think that's kind of all a game down to with that. But I agree with you. Like this isn't Schwarber when you walk him. He's right. very much a threat to steal, and he literally did that tonight. All right, last call of the night. This is Greg, who's calling in from Tucson. Greg, your thoughts on this game one loss?
6: Hey guys, thanks for the thanks for the vine tonight. Uh, a couple little things, real quick. One, don't listen to the Fox broadcast. Put on Arizona Sports 98.7, let's do it that way. That's the best way to get this game. I, I can't see my television that well. I my mean, vision appeared, but I can certainly listen to the governor. He's worth <laughs> every penny. Uh, two words, tough loss. Two more words, so what? You know what? Uh, these nights happen, man. And uh, my, only, my only thing I can think of about Walker is maybe he needs to move down in the lineup and wherever Thomas is. Go to that fourth spot there. I think I think Walker is just a lack of confidence, and maybe being in the fourth spot is a lot of pressure, especially in the postseason. He was great during the regular season, but it's now World Series time, and if you're going to be that guy, maybe you need to take the the stress and the strain off him. And I, I just think it was a strainful night. They'll they'll come back. They will. But a, a series like this or a, a game like this can define. My dad used to say, you have a tough loss, you make it up with a real tougher win. Let's go out and win tomorrow. Go backs
0: I love that energy, Greg. Thanks so much for the call. Uh, On the Christian Walker
4: thing, and and we've talked about this a lot too, uh, if you're willing to move him down in the lineup, that means you have to move somebody else up. Yep, That's just the nature of the beast. Uh, Although, there
0: seems to be a candidate who may or may not fit better in the four hole right now. Which would be who? Tommy Pham, who hit another home run tonight. Tommy Pham... and wouldn't it be nicer if he had someone on base when he hit those home? He's
4: runs? had a couple big hits. There's no doubt about it. How much of an impact are you really making if you just flip flop them, though?
0: Is that a real? Is that a real significant upgrade to your lineup? Well, okay. So in the natural scenario, if you go one, two, three in the first, and then Walker's your first hitter up, and hopefully he works a strong enough count where he gets a walk, and then you do have a runner on for Tommy Pham. Great. That's the thing. That's the but, argument I would make. But I don't expect this offense to go one, two, three in the first inning. You've got Carroll, Marte, and Moreno, who have been three of the better hitters in the entire postseason. And if they get on, they create havoc and then force the issue more so. Wouldn't it be better if Fam were a spot higher in the order as a result? Or go really aggressive, move Fam back up to three, put Moreno four, and then Walker five. Can I suggest something that might sound a little weird or crazy? I mean, we're already suggesting a lot of weird and crazy, so go ahead. What about Perdomo? Where? What if you move
4: Perdomo high in the order? Like one? Two or three. To put Cattell third? Yeah. Now, hear me out, because I know that—I'm not even sure I'm sold on this no, idea yet. No,
0: the sack-bunt king. Maybe he should Perdomo, just be higher.
4: And it's not really about the sack-bunt thing, although you're right. I do love that he's, he's certainly capable of doing that.
0: Yes. Geraldo Perdomo's hitting two eighty two this postseason,
4: three sixty four on base. That's better numbers than pretty much anybody not named Marte or Carroll.
0: It is a lot if, fewer at-bats, though. Uh, He's got 39 at bats in the not postseason. Not to like diminish what you're saying, because I agree with you. Perdomo maybe should get an experiment back at the top of the order because he is hitting. He's got as many at bats as
4: Alec Thomas, and he's only four behind Christian Walker. Alec Thomas has even missed like three games. Well, he doesn't play against lefties. Yeah, so or he doesn't start against. Whereas lefties, Whereas Perdomo's I say. been in every game. Uh, I, I is it time to consider Perdomo? I'm I'm not making the case that he's the best hitter in this lineup, but. Uh, when you're looking just strictly like by OPS or how they've performed in the postseason, Perdomo is not flashy by any means. I mean, he's hit two home runs in this postseason, but uh, for the most time, he's a singles hitter. He's patient. He's walking occasionally. Um, if you're really looking to shake things up, you could move Perdomo up. But then you fall into this trap where the bottom third or bottom four hitters in your lineup are just not trustworthy. And they, so they weren't trustworthy to begin with. Well, and that's why I asked Alex Weiner, do you consider even giving an opportunity to a guy like Jordan Lawler, who we have no evidence he can even hit major league pitching yet. We just don't because he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't been asked to. But the question is, do you just try to do something to spark something in the bottom half of the lineup where you really haven't gotten much?
0: Well, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's try and compare it to how the Rangers built their order and where all their production came from. Uh, The guy that's hitting at the top of the order for them right now is hitting 190. Yeah. So he Marcus let's, Semien. Let's just say Marcus Semien is the equivalent of Christian Walker. Are the Texas Rangers on the verge of moving Semien out of the leadoff spot? No. It doesn't feel like it, right? It's just the best player. But all of their production tonight came out of the two-hole, the three-hole, and the four-hole. The only other batter in the entire lineup that got a hit other than the top four was Josh Young, who hit eighth.
4: The Rangers stars won this game. Yes. In the lineup specifically. So can you make not the Diamondbacks
0: can you make the Diamondbacks Stars be the reason that you win? Can you give them as many at bats as possible? Well, that's which why they
4: did. I, that's why I was talking about pitching around guys like Garcia and Seeger, because the way they did that with the Phillies in the NLCS, I realize it's not apples to apples, but they said in games six and seven, okay, we're not gonna let Schwarber beat us anymore. He's already got five home run, home runs in this series. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna let Harper beat us. He might be the best player on the planet when he wants to be. And so they said, we're going to make Bryson Stott and Alec Bohm and Brandon Marsh, we're going to make them beat us. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't do it in Philadelphia for two games. So I-, I thought the same thing that you're talking about, like, why not try to make Josh Young beat you? Why not try to make some of these other guys in the Rangers lineup beat you, even though they've been good offensively all season? Jonah Heim's been one of the best. Offensive catchers in baseball. Yeah. Josh Young's had a great rookie season. Uh, they've had a lot of success with some of these other guys. But you're right. I mean, they got beat by the best players in the Rangers lineup tonight.
0: You know what? I didn't really look as hard at the box score as I probably should have. I didn't realize this, Steve. Maybe you mentioned it, and I apologize if you did. The Rangers walked 10 times tonight. 10. And only one of them was intentional. You can't put that many guys on base and expect to win a ball game. Now, I realize
4: that they were close in this game. It's 6-5. to They walked it off in the 11th. It's not like this was a blowout. But
0: you cannot walk 10 guys in a playoff game, much less the World Series, and expect to win the game. You know what's even crazier? They struck out 10 times, too. So their strikeout-to-walk ratio as as an offense was 1-1. to They had more walks than hits. Nine hits. 10 walks, 10 Ks. That's 19 on-base opportunities.
4: That's Plus, fair. you throw in the hit-by-pitch from Garcia, and we're talking 20 even. Whereas the Diamondbacks had eight hits and one walk and struck out 14 times. Yeah. And I pin a lot of that on the pitching staff. Uh, there were a lot of walks tonight. We talked about that rough third inning Gallen had where he walked th-
0: the bases loaded with two outs. But this is the outs. problem. is up until they got into extra innings, it was the pitchers you would expect to be the ones performing at the high level. And we didn't get the high-level performance tonight. Yeah. We didn't. There's no doubt. The only one who performed at a high level tonight was Joe Mantiply. And some love to Kyle Nelson, but it was it was shaky. I would agree with you there. Let's preview a little
4: of what is to come in Game 2 tomorrow night in Arlington. The Diamondbacks are going to face left-handed pitcher Jordan Montgomery. He came over in a trade midseason from St. Louis. So that is a team that the Diamondbacks are at least fairly familiar with. Uh, Jordan Montgomery obviously being a lefty is going to change some things in this lineup for the Diamondbacks. Right. Historically speaking, when they were facing Ranger Suarez in the NLCS, another lefty, they changed a few things. They would move Corbin Carroll down to the two spot. Cattell Marte leads off instead. A better hitter as a righty than a lefty. So that makes sense. Uh, You may see Alec Thomas removed, I would expect, in game two from the starting lineup so that they can get an extra right-handed bat in the lineup to replace him. He just can't hit lefties, and historically speaking, and that's the situation they're in. So I would expect that to happen as well. Montgomery, for what it's worth, has been a very good postseason pitcher, a 2.16 ERA, but he is hittable. His opposing batting average is 272, one of the higher opposing batting averages on the Texas Rangers roster. So while he's been good in 25 innings of work, he's got 28
0: hits against him. So he's giving up hittable balls. I'm looking at the game logs, too, because I'm noticing there's only two starts where he gave up runs, and it's not like he has given up nothing. He's given up six earned runs, seven in total. Uh, His worst start came against Baltimore. He only made it through four innings. It didn't matter. They swept the Orioles, so in the end, they ended up winning the game. Uh, His last start... Against Houston, he went five and a third and only allowed two runs, but um, that eventually led to a Houston win. But that wasn't his fault. And then he came in in relief in game seven of Max Scherzer, two and a third, only gave up three hits. And I don't know. This is a guy that the Diamondbacks were very interested at the deadline, as we mentioned a couple of times already. And he's been nails Man, like ever since the Yankees traded him to St. Louis, Jordan Montgomery has just been a tough beat when it comes to left handed pitchers. He's just a pre- solid. He's a pitcher. walking quality start, basically. He's, he's
4: not going to blow you away with a lot of strikeouts. He's got 17 Ks and 25 innings of work, he's got 28 hits against him. Uh, six earned runs I talked about, only the two long balls in the postseason so far. He's just a reliable, solid pitcher. He's a lot like Merrill Kelly, who he'll face tomorrow in game two. Merrill Kelly, by the way, did himself a lot of favors in his last start, which was really, really good in Philadelphia. 17 innings of work in the postseason, only given up the five runs, means his ERA is sitting at about two and a half with a whip right at one. His opposing average, 153. Wow. 120 points lower than Jordan Montgomery so I think you could say Merrill Kelly is catching up fast with Brandon fought as to who is the best starting pitcher in this postseason
0: for the Diamondbacks well look if, if Zach Gallen's not going to be the one to give them a and in his defense he only allowed the three runs tonight but if Zach Gallen's going to keep having these shaky outings where he gets roughed up in the first and then has to recover you're going to need solid, awesome outings out of Merrill Kelly and Brandon Fott if you want any chance in this series. Now, do we freak out if they lose tomorrow? They were down 2 nothing to the Phillies and then came home, and we know the rest is history. Do we freak out if they go down 2-0 tomorrow?
4: You know, historical context tells you you can't. Uh, Because of the way that the Phillies series went, but you also can't be too lax about it because of that, because this is a whole nother situation, right? Yeah. Um, Although you could look at it this way. You lose both games in Arlington. You come back home. You've got a really good opportunity to take at least two of three at home. Uh, I also, if you want to look a little bit further ahead, you've got Brandon fought pitching Game 3 at Chase Field. He's been fantastic everywhere he's pitched so far, but particularly Mm -hmm. at home, closing out the Dodgers, I remember, and then Game 3 to turn around the NLCS for them. But who do the Rangers have in Game 3? I don't know that it's official yet,
0: but my guess is it'll be Max Scherzer. Which, by the way, brings up an interesting uh, corollary, parallel. Again, here I am, wishing I just had a dictionary next to me. Here is Max Scherzer, the prospect that could have been, and you trade it away, facing against what is with Brandon Fott, who's potentially their next big thing here in Arizona. Absolutely.
4: And Max Scherzer, having been out injured for part of the postseason, he's only pitched six and two-thirds innings. But and he's not been, been great. He's been roughed up, man. He's got an ERA in the nines because of it. He's given up seven earned runs and only six and two-thirds, so that's never a good start. He's been very hittable. Uh, the opposing batting average is very high. Now, I realize this is still Max Scherzer we're talking about. Yeah. He could go out there and throw eight shutout innings. Flip a and switch in an instant. None of us would be surprised by it. Right. At the same time, statistically speaking, since coming back from injury, he has not been the Max Scherzer of old. He's been old Max Scherzer. <laughs> I see what you did there. So that could be a problem for the Rangers is they don't have a lot of depth. They used John Gray in relief today. And Dane So Dunning. that's another guy that easily could have started a game. Dane Dunning, you're right. So they don't have... Well, they have Andrew Heaney, the depth who they've gone to in that fourth game. Yeah, Andrew Heaney's got five and a third innings this postseason. They haven't thrown him very much.
0: They've two starts, five and a third. They only innings. asked for him in the one possible necessary game. Yeah. And they only asked for him in the Baltimore series because Max Scherzer wasn't active. So
4: yet. you could say the Rangers are actually struggling with starting pitching depth more than the Diamondbacks are. But Nate Uvalde has and Jordan Montgomery have been much better statistically speaking, although Nate had a pretty rough outing today, giving up the five and run. So that's what's to come in game two tomorrow, five o'clock. You're going to want to be here on Arizona sports. I think one of our callers said it best. Why listen
0: to the Fox broadcast when you can listen to the gubna? Why Salute not to the gub? It's his last games. These are his last games. I don't think that can be emphasized enough. I talked to
4: him about that the other day. Yeah, it's I I I can't even fathom how he feels about that. But anyway, it's it's not so much about the broadcast as much as it is about getting back on track in Game Two.
0: Can we do a quick plug yeah. of the both of us before we Go right sign right off? Because literally, we're going to be back here in twelve hours doing this exact same thing. If I have to, um, we found him. Oh yeah, the snake's alive, guy. The we guy got who him. started a revolution. Now I. I get it. Maybe some of you saw the athletic article that was published today. So shoot, we missed it by a day. But we got him. And he's gonna join Steve and I in studio tomorrow at noon. You know what? We need him now more than ever. Seriously. That's what I'm
4: gonna that's what I plan on telling him. We need our rallying cry. After I tell him that he should probably should have centered it on the piece of paper. But
0: <laughs> please
4: not Snake's Alive Guy is gonna be in studio with us tomorrow?
0: Yeah. God, that's at awesome. Noon, he's coming in at noon. That's gonna turn around the series. Him being in studio with us. Look at us. I We're going to be the reason that the Diamondbacks win in five. I feel it, man. I mean six. <laughs> I mean five. Hey, I, I don't
4: really care how many times, how many games it takes. Get it done. True. And I'm good with it. Game two, tomorrow, 5 1st pitch. You're going to want to be here for all the action. I want to thank my co-host, Mitch Vereldis. I want to thank everybody else who makes this show go. For Alex Weiner, our D-backs insider, for joining us live from deep in the heart of Texas. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. Join us tomorrow, 5.03 for the game. We'll be right here with all the post-game reaction after game two. We'll see you then on the World Series post-game special.